I want to invite you to imagine you are at a community gathering. Imagine all ages are present. A lot of people are hanging out in their age groups, but just as many are in mixed age groups. Gen Z folks are talking to boomers. Silent generation folks in their 80s and 90s are talking to millennials. They're all gathered together, engaged in conversations, and you just love being there. You're standing by the snack table, so, you know, you can enjoy the food and the company, and you overhear a couple people behind you chatting and scoffing at the food. I wouldn't touch that if I were you, says one of them. And the other says, oh yeah, not since they've been up there. They double dip, they don't wash their hands. They are so inconsiderate. Only instead of they, they're saying your age group. <coughs> Boomers, seniors, youth, kids, whatever the age group. How does that change the way you feel about the gathering? How does that even happen at such a wonderful gathering? Let's take a moment and reflect on how our different experiences affect our view of the world over time. The chunks that get labeled are different generations. We've got Gen Z, born since around 2000. Millennials, 20 years before that, born since 1980. Generation X, that's me, 1961 to 1980. I'm somewhere in there. <laughs> Baby boomers. Anybody know the first year baby boomers are marked? 46 on this list. Maybe it's 45, I don't know. They're different lists, and they're imperfect. And before that's the silent generation, 1925 to 45 on this list. And before that, the greatest. And before that, the builders. Each of these generations, it's an imperfect scheme, and there's different, unique experiences we each have. Sometimes I think I'm a little bit of a millennial, but mostly Gen X. But still, sharing some key experiences at the same stage in our life's development has a formative experience, but it allows us to connect with other people in our generation, to share a deep, common experience. So it's, it's a wonderful opportunity, actually, to connect with people within your generation. <coughs> For example, as a Gen Xer, it means the Gulf War hit in my youth. I was a teenager, and up until that time, I thought we were done with war. I may not have been as informed about what was going on in the world at the time, but for me, we were involved in a war, and I thought we were not going to do that again. It shook my hope, and it changed my formation as a youth. When I connect with other Gen Xers, it hit them hard, even if they had a different experience. That event creates a shared pool of meaning for us, the Gulf War. Now, within a generation, we get this important shared experience, but it's just as important to connect with people across generations. When the Gulf War hit, I talked to my parents about my feeling of losing hope, of fear. I was really afraid for my dad in the military. And they gave me a, a perspective 
from another generation. They had seen the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And they could give me that perspective so that I could get a new lease on a new shape for hope. And I gave them the idea of how beautiful it would be if we could give our children a gentler world to inherit. We need both types of generational connection, across generations and within, that deep meaning and that wisdom and broadening of imagination and relationship. Yet time and time again, in every single community I go into, the same thing creeps in to those intergenerational bonds, ageism. How does ageism creep into even the most thriving intergenerational communities? One reason is that our generations might focus on a different value system. I remember my grandmother saved everything. She reused her aluminum foil until it fell apart. Now I appreciate that and I'm thinking, gosh, what if we had kept that? How would the environment be different if we had kept that value alive? She grew up in the Great Depression and it formed her. It also formed her view of what other people do, her interpretation of other people's actions. So should someone get rid of a perfectly good anything? She would think, how could they do that? She had three vacuum cleaners because people had put them out by the side of the road and they were perfectly good and they didn't need to be thrown away. That's, that's good, but also I feel claustrophobic in that kind of environment, but that's just me. So if she saw me giving something to Goodwill that still had a scrap of use in it, she might interpret that as carelessness. It's careless. You're not thinking of the future. But I might interpret it as my desperate attempt to declutter my life. Her values engraved by the Depression and my own values engendered through my generation are not necessarily good or bad or right or wrong. They actually need each other and if we aren't in communication, it leads to a gulf between us. The different formative experiences and resulting values can make one group look rude or inconsiderate or unwise or even mean to another group if we aren't careful. Over time, if we are each talking about another age group more than with another age group, then we make differences bigger than they are, and we miss the opportunity to take that wisdom of, let's reuse the tinfoil from one generation into the next that discards whole plastic containers. Like the people we imagine by the food, we can also go from observing some behaviors indicative of a generation like, I noticed several people double dipped and they all happen to be from the age group X, right? Not Gen X, we would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> you could say, I wonder why they do that. I wonder how we could help. Because we don't want to go sharing germs. But we go from things like that to, look at those boomers, teens. They're so, so, Whatever. By the way, whatever in that situation is me saying whatever. That's a Generation X term to disregard what was just said. You're welcome. That's Gen X whatever. Good. Gen Xers brought you whatever. The power of whatever. So we also brought you like, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> 
But I'm saying whatever to those labels we sling at one another. So let's all say whatever to those labels, whatever. There is yet another complicating factor in our intergenerational relationships, though. This is the sticky wicket, they say. I'm not sure what that means. It means something in cricket. There is another major complicating factor, and it's humans and the way we deal with resource distribution. When one group has access to decisions about resources and others don't, we get into a little tug of war. It's like the parable of the two bears and the two small sheep. Have you heard of that one? No, because I made it up. So in this, in this parable, you got two bears in a bed. And there is some rolling over. But you got two bears in a bed and a too small blanket between them. And the bear on the left is like, I have half a blanket over only half of my body. So I'm going to roll over, dug the blanket over. Well, the other bear also only had half a blanket over half his body, but now has none. And so grabs the blanket and tugs back over. And so this goes back and forth all night long until they finally turn at the same time, talk to each other, and find out that the blanket is too narrow in that direction, and then they turn it, and then they sleep happily ever after. <laughs> if only it were that easy. When you have human groups with different needs and different access to resources, things get sensitive, like the blanket. Here in this community, as in most churches, the folks in mid-adulthood around my age, I am mid-adult now, mid-adulthood, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a joke. I should not be, I should not do that. I'm catching myself. I'm modeling. The folks in mid-adulthood through early older adulthood, so like 40 up through early 70s, tend to make most of the decisions, have access to most of the resources. Now, in our community, by the way, if you look at our budget and volunteer time, we are very evenly spread. But it doesn't always feel that way, especially if you're not the one actively making a decision. If you're a youth under 15 who can't be a member, therefore can't sit on the board, like Jackson Tomasco sits on the board, if you can't do those things and actively engage in decision making, you could feel like that group over there has more than I do. And likewise, if you're an elder and you have moved out of decision making and now other people are making decisions, it can appear, because everybody has less than a full blanket, it can appear that everybody else is getting more resources. So this tug of war over resources exacerbates gen generational, the word genetic came to mind, generational differences. It exacerbates the gulf between us because we start to think, that generation's getting more, that generation's making different decisions, different value-based decisions, so they are taking away from me. When you have a community where any groups are not in dialogue with others, especially when decision over resources is engaged in part of that puzzle, it kind of breeds resentment. Some groups feel the tug of resources more than others. Beyond this tug of war of resources and the ways we grow biases, we get other bad habits that make it easy for ageism to creep in 
to a thriving multi-generational community like ours. You want to know what this other one is? It's microaggressions. Has anybody heard of microaggressions? Yes. Not coming from your microwave and not small. They actually have a big impact because over time they build up and they make you doubt yourself. These bad habits tend to show up as inadvertent insults. You accidentally insult the people you love. They are creepy. These accidental put-downs have been called microaggressions. Other people called them stereotypes, but microaggression has the applied concept here. So I'm going to use microaggression. And to be clear, all age groups and lots of other groups use microaggressions. When I worked with communities in Florida on community action teams, I can't tell you how often a group of adults had apparently said to a youth, you're so eloquent. You're so well-spoken. They never meant to tell the youth, I didn't think you could compose a coherent sentence because you're a youth. But that's kind of what it communicated, because it communicated the assumption that they couldn't. And invariably, the youth felt devalued. It works the other way, too. An adult in his 30s in a church once confessed to me in a committee meeting that he had said, you're so sharp, to somebody who was 72. He hadn't meant to insinuate that somebody in their 70s wouldn't be intellectually sharp, but that's what he had communicated. And there was somebody else approaching retirement, and she kept saying, I got old-timer's disease every time she forgot something. Approaching retirement is a big deal. A lot's going on in your life. But instead of saying she had a lot going on, she said, oh, I got old-timer's disease. It took her a while to realize that she was insulting herself, everybody her age, and everybody older. Microaggressions, one or two, are usually not a big deal. But when they pile up day after day, person after person, they make it harder to appreciate difference and live in community because we feel hurt. Whether you're consciously aware of it or not, we feel less than the other group. When, uh, whenever any group feels less than, devalued, frustrated, let alone worthless, the whole community is hurt. Ageism has these subtle ways of creeping in misinterpreting another person's values, judging them, getting into a tug of war over resources, falling into bad habits like microaggressions. And ageism will always creep in to any intergenerational community because we do have different lived experiences. We have wisdom from different life phases. And we do have different access to resources. And we do have Habits of microaggressions picked up from society. But we don't have to despair because it will inevitably try to creep in. Instead, let us be attentive. We have a thriving intergenerational community, and all we have to do is be attentive to ageism when it tries to creep in. Witnessing the reflections today and thinking through that little ageism creep that you heard about, we can be equipped to respond aware of the risk it poses to our community and the loss of intergenerational exchange. So we can just calmly shoo it away like this. You can catch yourself saying, you're so articulate to a youth, and instead say, oh wait, what I meant to say was, your words really made me think. I've never thought of it that way. You can overhear somebody at a party judging an age group as inconsiderate, and you could say, ouch. 
why don't we try to get to know them better? Or I wish you'd get to know me better. You could catch yourself saying, I'm getting old timer's disease, and instead say, I've got a lot going on. This is a major life transition. We can say these things. Give yourself credit. Give other people credit. All ages are equally valuable to all ages. We need each other. After all this talk of why and how ageism creeps in, I want to give us one more question to ask thanks to one of my children. Around the age of three, when children are supposed to be asking why all the time, my child didn't. They asked, what if? What if they do have the toy I want at the store? What if I can turn any food I want into ice cream? <laughs> Why not imagine what if? So what if? What if we have an even more vibrant intergenerational community? What if we even more intentionally seek opportunities for intergenerational exchange? What if we take some of the hopes and threads that we heard in the reflections and ensure that that stays alive, that we are resistant to those forms of ageism? What is your what if about an intergenerational community? Talk to me about it. Talk to Laura Prophet, our Director of Spiritual Development. Talk to somebody in your age group and somebody not in your age group about the idea. What is your what if? What if we had an even more engaging and vibrant intergenerational community? May that be so. Amen.